Chapter One of Russia in nineteen nineteen by Arthur Ransome. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter One to Petrograd. On January thirtieth, a party of four newspaper correspondents, two Norwegians, a Swede, and myself, left Stockholm to go into Russia. We traveled with the members of the Soviet government's legation headed by vorovsky and litvinov who were going home after the breaking off of official relations by sweden some months earlier i had got leave from the bolsheviks to go into russia to get further material for my history of the revolution but at the last moment there was opposition and it seemed likely that i should be refused permission fortunately however a copy of the morning post reached stockholm containing a report of a lecture by mr lockhart in which he had said that as i had been out of russia for six months i had no right to speak of conditions there armed with this i argued that it would be very unfair if i were not allowed to come and see things for myself i had no further difficulties we crossed by boat to abo grinding our way through the ice and then travelled by rail to the russian frontier taking several days over the journey owing to delays variously explained by the finnish authorities we were told that the russian white guards had planned an attack on the train litvinov half smiling wondered if they were purposely giving time to the white guards to organize such an attack several nervous folk inclined to that opinion but at fiborg we were told that there were grave disorders in petrograd and that the finns did not wish to fling us into the middle of a scrimmage then someone obtained a newspaper and we read a detailed account of what was happening this account was as i learnt on my return duly telegraphed to england much like other news of a similar character there had been a serious revolt in petrograd the semenovsky regiment had gone over to the mutineers who had seized the town the government however had escaped to kronstadt whence they were bombarding petrograd with naval guns this sounded fairly lively but there was nothing to be done so we finished up the chess tournament we had begun on the boat an estonian won it and i was second by reason of a lucky win over litvinov who is really a better player by sunday night we reached terioki and on monday moved slowly to the frontier of finland close to bielostrov a squad of finnish soldiers was waiting excluding everybody from the station and seeing that no dangerous revolutionary should break away on finnish territory there were no horses but three hand sledges were brought and we piled the luggage on them and then set off to walk to the frontier duly convoyed by the finns a finnish lieutenant walked at the head of the procession chatting good-humouredly in swedish and german much as a man might think it worth while to be kind to a crowd of unfortunates just about to be flung into a boiling cauldron we walked a few hundred yards along the line and then turned into a road deep in snow through a little bare wood and so down to the little wooden bridge over the narrow frozen stream that separates finland from russia the bridge not twenty yards across has a toll bar at each end two sentry boxes and three sentries on the russian side the bar was the familiar black and white of the old russian empire with a sentry box to match the finns seemingly had not yet had time to paint their bar and box the finns lifted their toll bar and the finnish officers leading our escort walked solemnly to the middle of the bridge then the luggage was dumped there while we stood watching the trembling of the rickety little bridge under the weight of our belongings for we were all taking in with us as much food as we decently could 
we were none of us allowed on the bridge until an officer and a few men had come down to meet us on the russian side only little nina vorovsky's daughter about ten years old chattering swedish with the finns got leave from them and shyly step by step went down the other side of the bridge and struck up acquaintance with the soldier of the red army who stood there gun in hand and obligingly bent to show her the sign set in his hat of the cross sickle and hammer of the peasants and workmen's republic at last the finnish lieutenant took the list of his prisoners and called out the names vorovsky wife and one bairn looking laughingly over his shoulder at nina flirting with the sentry then litvinov and so on through all the russians about thirty of them we four visitors grimlund the swede punterwald and stang the norwegians and i came last at last after a general shout of farewell and helse finland from nina the finns turned and went back into their civilization and we went forward into the new struggling civilization of russia crossing that bridge we passed from one philosophy to another from one extreme of the class struggle to the other from a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie to a dictatorship of the proletariat the contrast was noticeable at once on the finnish side of the frontier we had seen the grandiose new frontier station much larger than can possibly be needed but quite a good expression of the spirit of the new finland on the russian side we came to the same grey old wooden station known to all passengers to and from russia for polyglot profanity and passport difficulties there were no porters which was not surprising because there is barbed wire and an extremely hostile sort of neutrality along the frontier and traffic across has practically ceased in the buffet which was very cold no food could be bought the long tables once laden with caviar and other zakuski were bare there was however a samovar and we bought tea at sixty kopecks a glass and lumps of sugar at two roubles fifty each we took our tea into the inner passport room where i think a stove must have been burning the day before and there made some sort of a meal off of some of puntervald's swedish hardbread it is difficult to me to express the curious mixture of depression and exhilaration that was given to the party by this derelict starving station combined with the feeling that we were no longer under guard but could do more or less as we liked it split the party into two factions of which one wept while the other sang madame vorovsky who had not been in russia since the first revolution frankly wept but she wept still more in moscow where she found that even as the wife of a high official of the government she enjoyed no privileges which would save her from the hardships of the population but the younger members of the party together with litvinov found their spirits irrepressibly rising in spite of having no dinner they walked about the village played with the children and sang not revolutionary songs but just jolly songs any songs that came into their heads when at last the train came to take us into petrograd and we found that the carriages were unheated somebody got out a mandolin and we kept ourselves warm by dancing at the same time i was sorry for the five children who were with us knowing that a country simultaneously suffering war blockade and revolution is not a good place for childhood but they had caught the mood of their parents revolutionaries going home to their revolution and trotted excitedly up and down the carriage or anchored themselves momentarily first on one person's knee and then on another's it was dusk when we reached petrograd the finland station of course was nearly deserted 
but here there were four porters who charged two hundred and fifty roubles for shifting the luggage of the party from one end of the platform to the other we ourselves loaded it into the motor lorry sent to meet us as at bielostrov we had loaded it into the van there was a long time to wait while rooms were being allotted to us in various hotels and with several others i walked outside the station to question people about the mutiny and the bombardment of which we had heard in finland nobody knew anything about it as soon as the rooms were allotted and i knew that i had been lucky enough to get one in the astoria i drove off across the frozen river by the liteni bridge the trams were running the town seemed absolutely quiet and away down the river i saw once again in the dark which is never quite dark because of the snow the dim shape of the fortress and passed one by one the landmarks i had come to know so well during the last six years the summer garden the british embassy and the great palace square where i had seen armoured cars flaunting about during the july rising soldiers camping during the hysterical days of the kornilov affair and earlier kornilov himself reviewing the yunkers my mind went further back to the march revolution and saw once more the picket fire of the revolutionaries at the corner that night when the remains of the czar's government were still frantically printing proclamations ordering the people to go home at the very moment while they themselves were being besieged in the admiralty then it flung itself further back still to the day of the declaration of war when i saw this same square filled with people while the czar came out for a moment on the palace balcony by that time we were pulling up at the astoria and i had to turn my mind to something else the astoria is now a bare barrack of a place but comparatively clean during the war in the first part of the revolution it was tenanted chiefly by officers and owing to the idiocy of a few of these at the time of the first revolution in shooting at a perfectly friendly crowd of soldiers and sailors who came there at first with no other object than to invite the officers to join them the place was badly smashed up in the resulting scrimmage i remember with major scale fixing up a paper announcing the fall of baghdad either the night this happened or perhaps the night before people rushed up to it thinking it some news about the revolution and turned impatiently away all the damage has been repaired but the red carpets have gone perhaps to make banners and many of the electric lights were not burning probably because of the shortage in electricity i got my luggage upstairs to a very pleasant room on the fourth floor every floor of that hotel had its memories for me in this room lived that brave reactionary officer who boasted that he had made a raid on the bolsheviks and showed little madame kolontai's hat as a trophy in this i used to live to percival gibbon when he was talking about how to write short stories and having influenza there was a room where miss Beatty used to give tea to tired revolutionaries and to still more tired inquirers into the nature of revolution while she wrote the only book that has so far appeared which gives anything like a true impressionist picture of those unforgettable days close by was the room where poor dennis garston used to talk of the hunting he would have when the war should come to an end i inquired for a meal and found that no food was to be had in the hotel but they could supply hot water then to get an appetite for sleep i went out for a short walk though i did not much like doing so with nothing but an english passport and with no papers to show that i had any right to be there i had like the other foreigners been promised such papers but had not yet received them i went round to the regina which used to be one of the best hotels in the town 
but those of us who had rooms there were complaining so bitterly that i did not stay with them but went off along the moika to the nevsky and so back to my own hotel the streets like the hotel were only half lit and hardly any of the houses had a lighted window in the old sheepskin coat i had worn on the front and in my high fur hat i felt like some ghost of the old regime visiting a town long dead the silence and emptiness of the streets contributed to this effect still the few people i met or passed were talking cheerfully together and the rare sledges and motors had comparatively good roads the streets being certainly better swept and clean than they have been since the last winter of the russian empire End of to petrograd recording by expatriate in bangor maine